Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linway. For today's 17th episode, I spoke with artist Laura Promosi, who lives and works in central Illinois. And although she is trapped in the Midwest, she's quite interested in the Arctic. And I promise, if you stay tuned, you'll hear her talk all about it. Welcome back to Studio Break. Here I am with Laura Promozik. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. Um, and you know, obviously, we 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 know each other a little bit through some other people, but um, you know, it's kind of nice to be able to talk to you about uh, some of your studio work. Because to be honest, prior to this, I hadn't really been familiar with it, so it's going to be kind of fun. Um, but um, I usually start out just by asking people a little bit about their background. So uh, where are you? Are you from Illinois, I believe? Or Yep. I'm, uh, I grew up um, in New Lenox, uh, which is by Juliet. And um, then I went down to Illinois State University for undergrad. And then I became a gypsy and moved almost every year <laughs> um, for different uh, reasons for going to the Art Institute for a year, going to Rochester, New York, um, to the School for American Craft, and then um, to grad school at the University of Minnesota. <laughs> I was in Kenosha, Wisconsin, most recently, um, to teach there for a year and a half. And now I think I might be settled <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> and back in Bloomington, um, as the instructional tech at Illinois State. So maybe I might be un- having my boxes unpacked for a little while. <laughs> well, I guess only time will tell for that. Yeah. Um, but um, and t- so in terms of, you know, obviously uh, just, you know, when people go to visit visit your your, your blog and, and kind of see, you know, what you're doing or at least what you've been doing and, and that, I mean, obviously there's a high level of craftsmanship and, you know, just, just that that kind of whole building, you know, like that that act of building something. And so, I'm just kind of curious: is that something that that started at a, I guess, a young age? Were you always, um, I guess, Messing someone around with stuff? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a silly question to ask artists. I'm sure we were all kind yeah. of like poking sand, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I, um, actually, it's funny because I've been talking. A lot about this today. I, I had conversations throughout all day today about making art and going to art school and what does it mean? Um, what does it mean for students? What does it mean as a professor? Um, and how did we start doing it? Um, when I, yeah, sure, when I was a little kid, I was playing around with tape. That was my thing. Anybody, if you ask my sister or my um, my mom, that's what I was getting in trouble with getting into my um, dad's electrical tape and making patterns on the coffee table and him trying not to get upset with me because I've made something maybe somewhat interesting (laughs) or a pattern on the table, but also wasting all of his electrical tape and uh, him trying not to get mad at me too much. Um, But I would try, I would go into his, I think, Painting was my biggest thing when I was little uh, because I could go into my dad's wood shop and uh, grab scraps of wood and paint horses on them or, I don't know, just things that, as a little kid, that was what I was looking at. Sure. So, uh, in the and they were just horse heads. They weren't even the, all of the horses, so they didn't really understand the, the full concept of looking at the whole animal yet. So, I think, um, yeah, it, it was interested in getting my hands into things and, and making something out of it, whether it was tape or paint or, yeah. Well, and it's, nice. it's kind of funny too, cause it reminds me, I mean, obvious, well, you talking about being a kid reminds me of being a kid, but you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just weird. Cause we don't, I mean, it doesn't seem like, like, cause we can talk about almost, almost like you're going to get scolded for playing with electrical tape or something like that, but it's just like, such a non-costly item, right? You know what I mean? It's kind of it's kind of interesting thinking about it now because it's just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I used to play with dowel rods and and make swords out of them, 
quite a bit. So anyways, <laughs> um, and so, I mean, was that something that you kind of typically, I mean, did you take a lot of like classes as you, as you started kind of getting into school and, and going through you know, grade school and that, or, or is it something that kind of came up later that you, yeah, I, when I was in junior high, I remember, um, I went to a Catholic grade school and high school and art class definitely in grade school wasn't, um, a priority, but I knew I liked it when, uh, we had an assignment where we had to copy a classical piece of work and I worked on mine really hard and I was really interested in it and tried to get it as close to the original as possible. And, um, and then somebody stole it. So I was pissed. But I knew I liked it. I knew it meant something to me. Like, I had made something, and it meant something to me. Like, this object meant something. And that was interesting to me, that I could create something that had this importance and this significance in my life. And I think that that continued on to high school. Um, in high school, I sought out to, t to take art classes. Like, I made an effort to try to take as many art classes as I could in high school and to talk my advisors into letting me take extra classes that I wasn't supposed to because I wanted to keep doing it every, every semester, you know, I wanted to keep, keep up with it. And, um, and it's funny because I didn't, I did okay. I was pretty average in high school. Um, but I wasn't like the star in the class and, and, you know, getting straight A's even in my art classes. But when I got to college, it kind of changed. Like all of a sudden I was, you know, I was doing really well, and I was, um, you know, all of a sudden being able to express myself other other than just the assignments, you know, right, right. kind of getting past that point. So I wouldn't say that, you know, I was a, I, you know, was an artist young, but I was striving to be an artist young, I think, and then trying to understand what it meant to be an artist as you kind of, you know, got, got into college and... Sure. So, well, yeah. well ho hopefully you really did well in terms of following your your foundational instructor's uh, lead. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, you know, too, um, that's kind of a little bit of an inside joke for us. Um, but, um, you know, so how, how did you wind up coming to ISU? Because, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to talk about um, ISU with, with alumni just because it's just like um, – I don't know, unless unless it was it really was the case that my the group that I left with was just really the best group ever, and everything else yeah. behind it was terrible. But um, <laughs> how did you wind up coming there? You mean for school or now? For school, yeah. For school, I ended up. Um, I looked at a couple schools, like I was looking at Bradley, and I looked at ISU and a couple other ones, and I just felt when I visited the art building that I felt at home. And I often feel that way about going to, um, whether it was looking at grad schools or residency programs or whatever, if I went and could picture myself working in that space, then I knew that I could, you know, it was a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. And I was very comfortable in that art building and talking to the faculty when I came to visit. And um, I, I just ended up cho choosing, choosing to go there, so... Yeah. And so, I mean, um, what, were you were you split kind of all over the three D area, or was it kind of three D and two D? Or actually, I started <laughs> um, I started with painting and sculpture, mm -hmm. and um, I was I finished the painting sequence, and I finished the sculpture sequence. I was I was pretty divided between the two of them because I had an interest in both. I had an interest in using. Um, paints in a much more sculptural fashion and the opposite too for sculpture, like using sculpture in kind of a painterly fashion. And, um, and then when I finished that, I took a ceramics class because they wouldn't let me take an independent study in lithography. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I dove into ceramics and I haven't, you know, really stemmed from that. And I haven't gone back from back to painting at all, really. I actually don't think I've touched paint to canvas since my last painting class, since painting four at ISU. So, Jeez. yeah, <laughs> I think I think a certain painting instructor is it too. I mean, he's supportive. But <laughs> I think he would have preferred me to stay with there, with painting. You know, yeah, there, you might have alienated a whole chunk of people. Yeah, but, know. you know, as, as somebody that is a painter, I probably don't often think of the opposite. So, 
you know, it's probably me being selfish there, but, um, you know, and, and certainly too, I mean, it seems like materials exploration is something that's always been kind of, you know, at least it looks like in your current work, something that maybe you did a lot of in the past. I mean, um, you know, in terms of, I guess you kind of, um, you know, finishing up your, your BFA then. So, so you wound up kind of traveling and doing, were they kind of certificate programs, or were you just like continuing education courses when you were at yeah, the Art Institute I, or well, I ended New York? I graduating or? from ISU with a BS, mm-hmm. and I left there and went to the um, School of the Art Institute for post back because I knew I wasn't ready for grad school yet, and I knew I wanted to go to grad school for ceramics, um, but I hadn't really taken enough classes, enough ceramic classes at ISU to be ready for grad school, and just mentally wasn't ready. So my post-bac at the School of the Art Institute was a year, and that was a really great program. Um, and I think that all the places that I've been to have been so different that I feel like I have a really well-rounded experience, and um, or I like to think that. <laughs> and um, and they've all taught me uh, so many different things. You know, like the School of the Art Institute, I had my probably first really tough critique there where they questioned every thing that I was doing and made me really think about what I was making and what I was trying to, to express with the objects that I was making and, um, and, and that I still had heart in what I was making too. Like the pieces, um, that I made right after that critique all of a sudden had, a, um, a, uh, what do I want to say? I can't think of a better word than like passion. Like I had a passion about the, the content that, the work was about, whereas the work that I was making before, there was a separation sure. between, you know, what I was making and, and maybe having some, um, personal interest in it. So, uh, the Art Institute, yeah, really kind of opened my eyes that to, you know, having a harsh critique and being okay with that, you know, like understanding that they're just trying to help me understand what I'm making so that I can make it, you know, better. And I think that's interesting, too, as a, as a professor now, um, having that, you know, being on the other side of the fence and making sure that your students understand that the critique is there to help them and to help other people understand how you're making things, the content of it, you know, is it successful, who, you know, like, who's your audience, all that stuff. It's really interesting, interesting to be on the other side of the fence of that now. Sure. Because well, you don't you want it to be constructive criticism, you know, you don't want it to be negative and and uh, yeah. So I don't know, it's kind of interesting. So that was the School of the Art Institute was um, like a stepping stone for me to then go on to a residency at the School for American Craft in Rochester, New York. And that was great because I went from a school that was pretty intense to the School for Aircraft, where it was intense in a different way because I was making work all the time. I wasn't taking classes anymore. I had studio t- studio time to just hammer out pieces. It was probably the only time thus, well, I mean, grad school was pretty busy with making work, but that year I probably made more work than I have ever yet. Right. And it was amazing. And it's just because I had the space, I had the time, and I had the energy. <laughs> so. Well, and it, you know, and, and certainly, you know, obviously just anybody that has kind of gone through grad school and, and kind of gone through this arc, I mean, there's, there's certainly a transition in terms of kind of figuring out who you are and kind of really owning it, which is, I think, you know, a little bit of what you were talking about. Yeah. And so it's interesting to kind of, to go from this world where you're, you know, kind of asked to defend every every little aspect of sure. it and to really think about it. Cause I mean, you know, especially, you know, and you've already kind of brought it up. I mean, it's very easy to be kind of arbitrary with what you decide or even maybe kind of forget that, you know, this is going to be out there for somebody to kind right. of, kind of receive. So, um, it's interesting to move from like that kind of environment to one where you're just kind of like left alone just to kind of work and to just kind of like process it through, I don't know, almost kind of a different means. Yeah. Um, and, and it seems like it would be a good, a good uh, framework to kind of go into graduate school. Um, yeah, exactly. And then, so then that transition was kind of going back to having your faculty there to question things and 
um, have that conversation again. So I was, you know, I was making work, but I was having to, you know, have the, uh, the support, the, I don't want to say, def- I don't like saying defending your work, but there is no other way to say it. Like you are, you're presenting this to your committee and you're saying this is what I've, what I've come up with. And it is a defense, but I don't like that. I don't like saying defending. <laughs> I wish I could come up with a better way to say it, but. So yeah, I think in a, in a, so then that was a three year program. So I had five years out of um, of grad school, and then I you know I started teaching, and and it was it, the whole I wouldn't change it. I never would have thought that's the path I would have taken. You know, mm-hmm. with the different schools and different programs, whatever. But um, I wouldn't change it. I think I had a really good experience um, with all the different schools. Well, for different reasons. Sure, sure. Well, yeah. it, it, and so I was going to ask, you know, like in terms of actual work, then, um, you know, and I'm only again kind of familiar with more, more of the recent stuff, I guess. I mean, as as landscape or kind of like that relationship between, um, I don't know, like the man-made elements or that kind of thing. I, and certainly, there's kind of like a playfulness in, in terms of your work. Has that always been something that you've kind of played around with or did you kind of start out making more yeah. I don't traditional kind of like you know functional things or was it kind of a I don't know what was it like I guess yeah yeah you know? no, so before, the that critique that I, I should be more specific the critique that I had at the Art Institute that was pretty crucial and and critical was um I was making functional work and but I was putting these sculptural elements in them and so um I had the critique, and they kind of ripped them apart. And then I, um, then I started thinking about what was going on in my life that was important to me, that I thought was interesting, and I could talk about and and make work about. And I started talking about landscapes that people um, kind of manipulate in artificial ways, but try to make it look natural or homey. Or uh, specifically, I was. Uh, talking about this resort that I work at, or I used to work at in um, the northwestern part of Wisconsin, and I would work there every summer uh, for three months, and I did for, I think, six or seven years, and it was interesting because people lived in these um, travel trailers that were in permanent um, uh, lots. They would leave them up there all year round, and they would decorate them with pink flamingos that moved and, and would light up and um, just yard art. And so I was interested in that artificial um, placement of these objects, but then they had to tear down trees to put the trailer in that spot. So I've, it, I've never really thought about it until the last couple of years. It really, I've always dealt with that idea of our way of dealing with space mm-hmm. and how we transform it from, you know, natural to artificial to natural to artificial, and what does it mean to be nature, and what does it mean to be artificial and putting fake flowers out and, um, you know, planting flowers where the tree was before. And it's kind of, I like that idea of memory of space, and that's come to my most recent work that I'm talking about that a lot more specific, but it's kind of evolved since then. So that was in 2006, I think. And um, and it's been a transition from talking about that very specific resort to then uh, that following summer I went to Alaska and I um, saw icebergs and glaciers for the first time. And being a girl from, you know, cornfields, Illinois, that was fascinating to me. Sure, sure. And it's not that we hadn't ever traveled before, but the idea of mountains even are fascinating me just the way that they're formed and this presence that they have and then to see glaciers and icebergs and um the beauty and the preciousness of them and the sounds that they make when the icebergs calve off um, the glaciers was really interesting to me so then leaving the art institute uh and having that experience in the summer and then that fall i was at um the school for american crafts and i started that residency And I started making work about icebergs and they're, uh, and it was strictly about the beauty of um, making them out of porcelain. What did that mean out of that material? 
um, having the ability to overfire a kiln intentionally and have that clay melt and be shiny and have a blue tint to it, just like the icebergs really did. And um, but then also having, you know, just as much as it's referencing the preciousness and fragility of the iceberg, it's now ceramic and now it's permanent and will always be ceramic. You know, it's fired. It's always going to be part of our history now and as this object that I've created. And um, and so I made the, I made some pieces of you know that were much more about the beauty and preciousness of icebergs, um, and then. Inevitably, that involved to talking about things a little bit more uh, politically, I guess, or environmentally aware, um, as far as how we're actually affecting icebergs and landscapes thousands of miles away sure. by our actions here. Well, uh, what's that? I, I don't. I don't know. You, you don't know. You <laughs> I don't know who you've been talking to because I've I've heard that's all entirely false. Oh no! You can you can suck on a tailpipe and it wouldn't affect you or oh, anything. Right. But um, oh, no. um, no, no. And I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have interjected in there. So. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so then I kind of uh, I guess it's my uh, mentor when I was at the School of American Craft, Rick Hirsch said, I think you need to make a decision. Either you can keep making beautiful objects or you can talk about the bigger picture. And he wasn't trying to discourage me or encourage me in any way, you know, either way, just make a decision and own it, you know, have that ownership over it. And so um, I decided to, that I couldn't, there was no way as a person who was making things not talk about um, the environment and be aware of that. And um, I started using oil rigs as kind of my symbol for uh, our impact on the environment. And not only because um, I think that they're a very ob- obvious and, and a recognizable image and is seen in the media a lot, um, but also because I actually just like the structure of them. I like how uh, they're built. I think their architecture is really interesting and how they're, you know, cemented into the ground of the ocean or whatever. Um, And, you know, that they're built to also, they're built to do their job and um, get oil, but they're also like these structures that have to house people and have them function on this, this structure. And it's, I don't know, it's just really interesting um, architecture to me. So it kind of does a dual purpose. Like, it's an interesting piece for me, and it also has this other baggage with it that I think helps um, me talk about the environment and uh, this fragile landscape. Sure. Um, and so I like having those, those two images next to each other. And I started uh, making pieces for quite some time that, always included those two objects, the iceberg and the oil rig, in some fashion. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, and so, I mean, obviously, too, it sounds like that, you know, um, to some degrees, the, the kind of places that you've lived have kind of influenced, you know, what you wind up making to some degrees, you know, whether yeah. it be, in that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, is that anything that you ever, I guess, consider in terms of, like, um, I don't know, checking out Southwest's uh, flight deals and going like, you know, it'd be awesome to go to this place for a weekend because I've never been there. And Yeah, you know. and, well, I definitely sought out a trip to Greenland when I was in grad school. I made sure that I went. Um, and I don't think I got a Southwest deal on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would have, but that was a trip of a lifetime for sure because obviously not everybody goes kayaking around icebergs in Greenland and I was able to do that right before my thesis year, and um, and it was amazing. And I and I want to go back, and I want to go everywhere that I you know can to have that that same type of experience, whether it's with icebergs, but or not. But it's more about where um, where little people have traveled to. I think sure. that's what's interesting to me is have that experience of. I bet you nobody has stepped foot on this rock that I'm climbing up right now, right. you know, like not 
at least like I hope nobody else did. I'd like to think that when I was there. Sure, sure. Well, so. and and you know it's interesting too because you know just listening to the, kind of you talking about some of these things, um, you know, there's a there's kind of a strange abstraction, at least to me, anyways. And, and like kind of growing up in the in the, in the Midwest, um, you know, especially in the suburbs for me because I don't. There's a lot of things that I didn't really understand. I don't know that I couldn't understand until I've been there. And so I think there, like, especially in some of the, the stuff that I was making now, um, geez, uh, a decade ago, um, was my MFA show, which is insane. But I, I remember, I remember having, uh, like this really awful, oh, well, I don't know. It could be awful, but it was kind of like this weird, like idea of kind of like these idealized places. And I hadn't really been to them, um, and, you know, obviously, like, in terms of your work, there's also, like, a, a level of playfulness that mm-hmm. kind of goes on. Um, and so maybe this is kind of out of out of some kind of weird order, but just kind of the way that we're talking about it. I mean, do you ever, um, I guess, consider different extremes in that regards? Because, I mean, there's certainly a lot of room for, you know, something that might be more playful or something that's more serious. I mean, do you ever consider... I don't know, just kind of far away landscapes that you haven't imagined, or, or is it something that you always kind of want to have like a, I don't know, like some kind of relationship with, or, you know, some kind of way in, or something that you've researched maybe, or read about? Yeah, um, I think, are you talking about like creating like a fantasy landscape? Yeah, or? I mean, is, is, is that something that, that, that is appealing to you, or how do you, how do you decide like where to, where to rein it in so that you're not like, you know, talking about something that you don't know, or is that something, right. you know what I mean? Because I think that idea of like a, you know, the, like a personal kind of understanding or kind of like, I don't know, you kind of gravitate towards something, you know, I think everybody does kind of gravitate towards things being, you know, a little bit more personal in some regards. So I'm I'm just kind of curious where that, you know, where that field of play is for what you wind up doing and investigating. Right. Well, I think that, um, I don't know. I think I have to have an experience with the place for me to talk about it or mm-hmm. make work about it and because I want to for my sculptures I want to create an experience where the art the viewer feels like they're in that landscape and for me to be able to do that as the artist I need to have had some experience of my own I feel like um, you know just as I was paddling around an iceberg and it starts rolling and you know, I'm taking a picture of it when I should be paddling backwards to get away from it. And that sense of, I am so small compared to this large object that's moving in front of me and it can have this major impact on me. Like, I don't think that I could um, express that experience without having had it. So I don't think I could, for me to like kind of make up my own, I guess, or my own landscape or whatever, I don't think that I could do it as well as if, you know, I am right now where I have had that experience. Right. And I want, and I I think it's, um, I think that's really important. I think that's why it was so important for me to go to Greenland because when I was in Alaska, I wasn't, I was on a a, a giant ship, you know, I didn't feel that, um, that micro on this macro scale you know like I was I didn't feel small um next to these icebergs and glaciers because I was on this larger ship and I think that's why I saw the preciousness and the beauty of those icebergs when I was there in Alaska and then when I got when I was in Greenland it was this huge landscape this monumental landscape and feeling very small in a kayak and vulnerable and having things going on around you that you have no control of and you're trying to maneuver your way through the landscape that is not already had, doesn't have a set path for you. You know, there's not, um, there's not campsites. There's not a, a set road or hiking trail or anything. Um, so it's kind of, you know, you're, you're definitely vulnerable in that, in that landscape. And it's interesting too, because, um, <laughs> actually when we were on that trip, there was uh, this part that we got to where um, you could see these beautiful, this beautiful orange speckles in the landscape. And, um, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. Must be this burnt orange flower that is growing in Greenland. And all of a sudden we start paddling close to it, and it's actually 
thousands of oil barrels, rusted oil barrels that were left from, um, I believe, from the Navy that mm -hmm. had some type of, um, I don't know, something there, some station or whatever. And um, they were able, that's where they would uh, come and fill up with, you know, their, from the tanks there. So even though we were maneuvering around this landscape that was so untouched, we came around, you know, corner and here are thousands of oil rails that were just left there. Right. And they were rusted and were beautiful in color, but it was so hideous to see, like, you're like, oh, man, wait, somebody really was here before us. We're not the pioneers. You sure. Know? So, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. And so I think that's, so that kind of came up in some of the work that I made in my thesis show. And, um, and having that, you know, the idea of, like, that these oil barrels had taken over part of this mountain. And, uh. And, but it was also kind of, you know, from a distance, it was beautiful. When you got close and realized what it was, you're like, eh, that's, that's Right, right. So, but um, I think, yeah, I think back to what you were saying, I think I, there's no way that I could come up with something like that that had that kind of impact on my own. Like, I would like to, I need to experience it, and I want to recreate that for somebody else. And hopefully then they start questioning what's, you know. Sure what's going on so well and also too I would, it seems like then again you know and and you kind of talked about a little bit about you know kind of having that i guess i don't know the way, the way that it's read or the, or the way that you know somebody might view it um you know because i think just you know just kind of looking at it i mean obviously there's a there's a level of you know being aware of it being a construction you know like you know immediately like there's a sculpture you're kind of thinking about the scale and the materials and that kind of thing um, and so, I mean, is, is that, that's, that's, I'm taking that as to being something that is meant to elicit that kind of response and the thinking about these relationships that maybe are kind of unseen. Yeah. I def and I play with scale too. Um, I made a nine foot by four foot by three foot glacier wall piece. Um, I never fired it. It was, uh, it was made out of clay and, uh, you know, it was like this towering in a, in a studio space. I made it in my studio space when I was um, out in New York. And it was this monumental sculpture, you know, in front of you. But you still didn't, it was like you still didn't quite get the, the sense of that, that macro on the micro scale that I was trying to do. And so then I bumped down my, my icebergs quite a bit. Um, and and now they've become like these small handheld objects, and I like playing around with that scale um, because in, in my thesis so, thesis show I bumped up. You know, I had actually a combination of of pieces. I had um, some larger iceberg pieces that were on metal stands, and then they had tugboats that were really small, toy-like tugboats that were pulling on the iceberg or attacking the iceberg with harpoons. Um, so, yeah, I, I like to play around with scale. I like to play around with how the viewer puts themselves in that landscape. You know, are, do they feel like they're bigger? Do they feel like they're smaller? Are they placing themselves on that tugboat? Or are they <coughs> towering over the mountains, the oil bear mountains? So, um, and I play with things on the floor, things on from the ceiling, things... Um, set up on uh, tables. I try to actually avoid pedestals. I'm not a huge fan of the white pedestal, which I think a lot of people are. <laughs> Maybe sure. are not, you know, but uh, I like to build my own um, base for my pieces, and I pretty much almost always have done that. Um, I like the negative space under um, sculptures and not having it weighted down by a, by a white pedestal. So any way that I can create an installation that brings a piece off the floor or hangs it from the ceiling or off the wall right? Um, so that it kind of gives the viewer an experience. Well, and it was interesting too, cause you know, I mean, I'm always writing down things that seem to kind of like stick out to me mm -hmm. and I don't know if they do, but I mean, you're talking a little bit about just like the, the sound of like icebergs and, and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And it kind of like elicits again, like that. I, I mean, I, it sounds like you want that, I don't know, like to really kind of put that, that person in that experience. And so I guess I'm just kind of curious, is that, I mean, 
aside from the wall piece, I mean, is are you always then kind of planning out different, you know, things that you're making that are more, you know, manipulated like sculpture as opposed to then also maybe incorporating something, you know, like a, like a site specific piece. Have you ever, have you ever done, been interested in kind of stuff like that or is it? I, um, for my thesis show, I poured uh, paraffin wax on the floor and created this um, sculpture on the floor with icebergs kind of spread out. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, that was site specific. That was uh, maybe like nine feet long, four feet wide. Um, but as far as sound, I have some great audio from um, the kayaking trip, and I haven't quite figured out how to use it. But someday I would like to. Um, I have. I was fortunate enough to have a grad student lend me his um, his microphone that you can put in water, and it was on like this really long cord. And I um, borrowed whether they knew I was taking it to Greenland or not. I'm not sure um, from the U of M and, uh, recorder. And so I was able to record a bunch of uh, sounds, ice cracking, um, just like weird bubbling noises next to um, icebergs. But the best one is um, we were paddling past um, a, a piece of ice, and when an, an iceberg um, starts melting down, all this carbon gets trapped in the middle. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, when it gets down to the core, when it becomes a rotten iceberg, they actually call that a rotten iceberg, when it's melted down so much that it's actually like the core of what, you know, really originally started out with, it's, um, there's all this carbon trapped in there, and it starts popping, and it sounds like Rice Krispies, and it's so loud. It's surprisingly loud how much mm. it starts popping. And, um, and so I was able to, we were able to keep the kayak kind of balanced next to this piece of ice as I threw the microphone on it and started recording it. And it's a beautiful, beautiful noise. Um, but I just haven't quite figured out what to do with that audio. Um, I had wanted to maybe put it in my thesis show, but I felt like that was another element that I was trying to force on the viewer, and it didn't seem natural yet. Um, so I kind of feel like it should be its own piece on it by itself. It doesn't need other sculptures next to it. Sure. Well, and it's also interesting, too, because, I mean, I, I think that, I don't know if I were to take a survey for artists, there'd probably be a lot of people that kind of hold on to these kind of things. I don't know, not not necessarily, you know, like audiophiles or something, but you know what I mean? Like, like some kind of experience that, you know, maybe takes, you know, years to kind of click in the right way. And, you know, and it seems like too, the, I guess the way that you kind of evolved, it seems like, um, I guess being honest with yourself and, having an actual relationship with what you're doing and an interest in what you're doing is a bit more important than, you know, making headlines or, you know. (laughs) It's funny you bring that up because I I was talking, today must have been the day for me to get on my soapbox because (laughs) I I was talking with so many people about making art and what type of artist are you? and, um, And I think that's, you know, that makes me different than other people because I'm not interested in being an art star. I don't, um, I want to keep making art. That's really important to me. I want to, um, keep showing in the community. That's really important to me. I don't want to just make art. I want to make art and show art and share it with other people, but I'm not interested in, um, you know, like if I get a show in New York, great, but I'm not striving for it. I'm not trying to, um, I'm just not trying to be that type of artist um, because I have, you know, there's life. There's like there's other things that are going on, and I'm not interested in sacrificing other things to further my career. Right. And I think that there's artists out there that are like that, and I think that that's great. And I'm really supportive of and excited to see artists doing so well, and my friend, some of my friends doing so well. Um, and I. You know, I get excited when I see them post new things that they're doing, getting grants, and, and I think that's fantastic. And I, too, you know, continue to apply for grants and such. But um, I want to enjoy what I'm doing, and I want to like what I'm making. I want to um, – I had a professor tell me once that just because you like doing it doesn't mean you should. Right. And I, I hate that um, – that statement, I do, and because I think it comes with baggage that um, that isn't true. I think that you have to, and you know, everything that you 
like doing may not turn out the best and may not be a successful piece, but I think you still have to try it. I think you have to try making, you know, a variety of things before you figure out what's the best way to say, you know, express an idea or, or say something. Um, but yeah. Well, and it's, well, and it's interesting because I totally have an aversion to that initially, but then I'm just kind of like, no, you know, um, you know, in, in the way that they talk about, like, I don't know, your first instinct being the right one in terms of, like, a multiple choice or something like that. I mean, um, it seems to me that maybe, you know, it's easy to, I don't know, like, like, like there might be a time where you kind of have an instinct to kind of be interested in something, and maybe you don't have all the tools or the vocabulary or the ability to kind of put it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like something like that would be something that really could kind of... I don't know, deter you or, you know, throw you into some other path, you know, right. maybe that maybe is disingenuous. And so, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that there's some, certainly some interest in kind of validity of that, you know, in, in yeah. terms of, you know, figuring out how to, how to put that all all together. But, you know, yeah. and, and I'm just kind of curious too, uh, uh, being somebody that's been a nomad and, you know, maybe not always had kind of access to everything. I mean, um, do you, do you find yourself then in, in terms of also kind of collecting materials, um, as far as experiences that you might wind up using or I, I don't know, you know, even if it's not like something that you're, you know, um, doing like a, I don't know, to, to make it personal between somebody that we know, you know, we, we do know somebody that maybe collects, um, memorabilia from baseball parks. I'm not gonna, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna name this person specifically, but, um, you know, I mean, is, is that something that maybe, I don't know, collecting materials or, I don't know, is that something that kind of becomes something that's necessary to kind of fit into your, your studio practice too that's, while you're living? Or? I don't really think it, it comes into my studio practice. I like to collect images. I, I like to have a good image library of um, whether it's land, different landscapes that I'm interested in or, um, you know, like trucks and oil rigs, like different styles of trucks. I've really started a collection of images of uh, different uh, deforestation trucks because mm-hmm. um, I'm interested in starting to create more of those uh, for my sculptures. But um, that, I mean, my, my collecting, the thing that I collect, I, this is going to be embarrassing, but the thing that I collect on a regular basis is actually belt buckles, and that has nothing to do with my art practice. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is something that I collect. But everything else for my uh, studio practice is more of imagery. Like, I really have, like, having a big uh, resource library for for that. So I can easily flip into that folder and say, yes, this is the structure, this is the architecture that I want to use, this is the kind of iceberg I want to make, you know, because it's visually going to work on this, um, on the sculpture. So... I don't have a collection of objects. That's yeah, that I keep with me, right? Or like that. Well, and you know, I'm. I could maybe guess here a little bit, but um, you know, it seems like, it, it, and I guess is a little personal in terms of my my experiences too, because I have no prior to prior to going to Las Vegas, um, <laughs> um, actually right before Christmas, which was quite excellent. I, I should just give a little plug here because um, I'd never I hadn't been to Vegas since I was sixteen. Um, and it's, it's weird cause it grows on you really quickly cause yeah. my initial instinct was terrible. But one of the things that we wound up doing was going out to Red Rocks, um, mostly during the day and then going, going back to Vegas and kind of, you know, hitting that up at night. But I mean, um, there's just something so nice about being in that environment and kind of, I don't know, it's something that, you know, I'm not always involved or kind of in, in this inspired landscape. I mean, especially growing up in the Midwest, um, you know, it's uh, a lot of gray and, and kind of, you know, bored, boring stuff in the winter where I, I don't know, I, um, when I'm in that environment, it's something that kind of is, is, I don't know, something that kind of takes over. I mean, it's that, you know, it sounds like you lead a, a somewhat active, less sedentary lifestyle. I mean, is that something that's important for you? Kind of like hiking and oh, yeah, you know, being outdoors definitely. and stuff? Yeah. Um, I think that if I had chosen a different career, I think I would have gone into forestry. I think I would <laughs> love to go work in a national park somewhere. Not, and I don't, the, I guess the thing that would be, would keep me from it is um, the science of it. I don't know how well I would do with, you know, having to study science, 
but just the actual being in the park and taking care of, you know, trees and being around them and being in that landscape and burning brush so that new, uh, n- you know, new trees can grow. Like, that, <laughs> right, right. that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I definitely, um, I definitely go, try to go out and, and be in that, you know, different kinds of landscapes. Um, hopefully, actually, next year, um, maybe next summer, if, I, if we can swing it, we're going to try and do a camping trip up in Alaska. Um, so I'm going to hopefully get back up there again. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Looking sure. forward to that. So. Sure. And and um, you know, obviously, having a having a, a full time job is something that keeps you distracted. But is there, is there any other other embarrassing things? Maybe they don't have to be embarrassing things that 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 keep you keep you distracted. Music, television shows. I, I always, I don't know, I always like asking people because, you know, um, one of our friends again, and I'll, I'll mention it by name because I thought it was hilarious, was uh, was Ben Gardner, you know, talking about, you know, seeing every Law & Order episode he thinks that, that was ever made, which is, well, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of hours, I don't know. but <laughs> I mean, that's an investment of time. But, but is there, I mean, is there anything, um, I, mean, I don't know, I mean, I think it's nice to kind of get another sense too, I mean, um. You know, is there particular music that you're always, you know, in tune with in the studio, or is it just so loud that you can't hear anything? I don't know. I, um, let's see. Well, I listen, as far as music, I'm a country girl. I mm-hmm. listen to some country music, like to, to bust that up. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's not really embarrassing, but in my free time during the summer, I'm, I'm fishing. I love to fish. And I would, um, I love being out on the lake and maybe it's being in that landscape, um, being out on the water, being surrounded by water and, and, um, and then, you know, hoping to catch the big one, I guess, pretty competitive, um, in the, in the boat with my sister, you know, making sure that I catch more in the bigger one than her. But does she always win or? No, I do. Okay. (laughs) I try to, I have to keep my record high. Like I can't, uh, can't let her win. (laughs) Um, no, I think that's, you know, certainly kind of interesting. Um, you know, in terms of, I guess, you know, we talked a little bit earlier and maybe there's a little bit of a weird segue into some of these last questions, but, you know, (laughs) um, you know, you talked a bit about, you know, uh, teaching and, you know, obviously interacting with people and it sounds like you are willing to share your opinion kind of, kind of a lot, um, which is a good thing. I don't know. Maybe not a lot. Maybe that was bad wording. Um, but, you know, and, and this kind of changed a little bit because, I mean, obviously it seems like I think most every every artist person that I know is, you know, encouraging others um, to kind of explore that. And I'm, I'm guessing you're one of those people. So, I mean, um, I've changed this up lately and kind of asking, I mean, if you had any, I guess, advice then to give to, I don't know, maybe a, maybe a, a sophomore student, you know, ask you about what's it like being an artist and all that kind of stuff. What, what kind of advice would you kind of give them in terms of exploring that out if there's, you know, this one thing that they should do. Yeah, I think, um, I think you have to be active. I think as a student, as a practicing artist, as a teacher, you have to be active. And whether that's active in the studio, active, um, looking at new artists, um, looking back at old artists, going to museums, going to galleries, um, just having those experiences over and over again. Um, I think sometimes when you're in school, you forget, um, I don't know. Like I, when we were, when I was an undergrad, I had professors who were really good about bringing us to Chicago to go to the museums. And I was so thankful for that because, you know, being in, when I, I assume in Bloomington, there's, you know, not a whole lot going on down here, but they knew what was going on in Chicago and they were able to kind of open our eyes to what really like a gallery opening is like and what, um, you know, what's going on in bigger cities and keeping yourself informed. And, and I have, you know, like if, if it's a student applying for school, I say, keep applying and, um, apply to everything. Don't just apply to, 
you know, if you're looking to go to grad school, don't just apply to grad school, apply to residencies, apply to post-bac programs, because if I had left undergrad and tried to, you know, get into grad school right away, I would never, you know, I just wouldn't have gotten in, so it just wasn't ready. Right. But I got into a post-bac program right away, which was fantastic. And, you know, and then I chose to do a residency. I didn't even try to apply to grad school after the post-bac program, even. Um, so I say, you know, be open to different experiences, residencies, whatever, um, and just, you know, keep being active with it and don't give up because I don't know how many times we were told the percentage of people that in five years, you know, or this percentage is going to go to grad school out, out of your class. This percentage right. in five years is going to be making art. This percentage is going to be in 10 years still making art. And I was so determined to be in that percentage <laughs> that still, you know, that went to grad school and still making art um, just because, you know, like I, I want to, you know, I want to be a part of it. I want, right. I, want to, I want to actively know what everybody else is doing and, you know, I want to share what I have to say too, so. Well, it, you know, it's interesting too to hear that too because I, I, I don't know where those statistics come from ever. Right, and, but I know, heard them a lot. <laughs> oh, right, but I mean, you know, it's it's interesting too because I mean we, we're kind of obviously in, in some interesting and difficult times in, right. in terms of especially trying to be an artist or you know there's plenty of people that are you know hopefuls in, in terms of getting you know full time teaching jobs and, yeah. and full time jobs in general anyways but it's kind of inspiring too because at the same time I, I do know a lot of people that you know are still making things you know yeah. and still kind of make it an important part of the life, which is, you know, again, um, a, a bit more interesting. Um, so just, just, I think a couple of things, um, left here, but, um, I wanted to ask, you know, is, are there any, I guess, particular kind of important monumental type shows or, or things that you've seen, you know, that, that I guess exhibited that, you know, you kind of look back on or, you know, that could be recent or whatever that you kind of are just like, yeah, you know, that, you know, that's, that's huge, you know? Yeah. Well, it, my, I guess the one today wasn't super monumental, but I was over at the, um, the student gallery today, um, which, which is called trans space at ISU. Mm -hmm. And I saw these prints that were done by students that I was like, you know what? That's it. Like, that is the idea that I'm trying to think about too. Mm -hmm. And it's a, like it's a really interesting start that the student, you know, has has um, started talking about that uh, that memory of space that I'm trying to talk about in my work. Right. And that was really exciting to me for some <laughs> reason. You know, I mean, not for some reason. It was like you know, it was this art that I was looking at, but I was just like, wow. Like, I I like that other people are also um, trying to figure out the same idea of, of like the use of space, the memory of space. Um, but I got really excited about it, and the person that I was with was just like <laughs> didn't didn't quite know my reaction. But I, you know, it was it wasn't a monumental show, but it was uh, kind of an eye opener too. That was like, yeah, somebody else is also trying to figure this out, and um, and it was a student, and that was really exciting too. That that you know, students are thinking about the bigger picture too. They're not just trying to complete assignments or stuff like that. I don't know. That was, that was my excitement for today. <laughs> well, and you know, um, maybe this is me sounding silly or stuffy here, but I, I was going to say too, I mean, you know, the, the matrix, the original matrix movie to me is kind of proof that, you know, I don't know, being really divinely inspired something doesn't mean that it has to be exactly like conceived or methodically planned out to the point that you knew the impact it would have. Yeah. So I think, I don't know, a lot of times you kind of find, I don't know, inspiration or kind of feel like a, a sense of like, oh yeah, you know, like so-and-so is working through this too, or kind of playing with it too. And it, it doesn't always have to be this, you know, monumental, like, you know, Kara Walker had this show or, you know, right. Richard Tuttle had this show and, right. you know, this person's amazing and. You know, I mean, sometimes it's really unexpected what you wind up finding, you know? Exactly, because you know, like, I mean, if you have an artist that you love, you know that they're amazing. You know, like, right, right. You already love them. Right. You're already looking at their work, and you're looking at um, seeing what they're up to. Um, 
But when it's, you know, when it's un unexpected and you go into the student gallery and you see that, that was pretty, I was, yeah, like I said, I was pretty excited. Um, and this piece that I'm working on is for, I'm going to do a little plug here, it's for a show that's coming up. Um, the dates are March 28th to the 31st at Nsika, which is um, the National Council for Education and Islamic Arts. It's a conference that happens every year. And this year it's in uh, Seattle. And, um, and the show is only up for a week. It's just up for the conference. But the name of the show is Precipitous Earth. And, um, and there's about seven artists in it. And it's really interesting because we're all artists that deal with um, landscape and use of landscape and how uh, we situate ourselves um, in that landscape. And, and it's not just us. You know, it's animals, too. There's some artists that talk about, um, you know, how animals are also impacted. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. There's seven artists, and there's kind of a broad range, but we're all essentially dealing with the same topic, so. Sure. Well, it sounds, it sounds like something uh, people should check out. So. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's been lovely chatting with you. Yes, you too. Um, so thanks again for being part of the podcast. Of course. Thanks again to Laura for joining us today. You can find out more about her work by visiting promosicsculptureblogspot.com. Again, you can check the Studio Break website for links to that. Our music today by Austin Leonard Jones was found on Free Music Archive. Again, you can check out a whole bunch of stuff. I managed to download two albums today because I liked it so much. We had the Ox Driving Song and Burning Canoe coming up. For those of you looking for some good shows to see, you can check out Michael Willie and Tim Roby, guests and friends of the podcast. They're both showing at the Peoria Art Guild. They have shows opening up February 11th, so please go check it out. Five to eight opening. For those of you that might be new to the podcast, you can check out studiobreak.com for old episodes, for images for all these artists and information of their links and websites. Please check that out. If you're on Facebook, please become a fan of Studio Break. It's a good way to find out more information and get updates. And our very exciting news, we are officially on iTunes. If you want to subscribe, just go to iTunes under Podcasts, search for Studio Break. Again, we don't have an image right now, and there's some information missing. Hopefully that will get resolved real soon. Other than that, we're going to take you out with this final song, and we'll talk to you real soon. Like the diff.